You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey guys and gals, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney, uh, your host for that one time on tour. This is episode 20, 2-0. We've done 20 of these things. It's pretty crazy. Um, I'm very, very excited to bring you this week's guest, my good friend, Mr. Jonathan Newby from the band Brazil. Uh, his new project is JC Autobody, and we have a really, really cool conversation. Before we get to the conversation, I need to talk to you about a couple of my sponsors. As always, Rockabilia.com is your one-stop shop for everything band merch related. Rockabilia.com has over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the bands. Uh, the bands are getting paid. It's a great company. The merchandise that you can get from Rockabilia is amazing. They sent me some wonderful shirts, and I've washed them a couple times, and they still look brand new. So make sure to go over to rockabilia.com and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT. That is promo code PCTOTOT, and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. So make sure to check out rockabilia.com. I also want to tell you about this really cool store here in Muncie, Indiana, Muncie Music Center. I work at Muncie Music Center. I teach there. It's an amazing store. They have everything that you could ever want. They have everything, man. They've got trombones, saxophones, guitars, basses, mandolins, banjos, anything that you want. They have it. They're a wonderful sponsor of this show. They also sponsor my rock and roll summer camp that I do. It's a music workshop for kids. I'm actually doing my autumn session right now. Hopefully, we're going to do another uh, podcast from rock and roll summer camp, the autumn edition. But check out Muncie Music Center. Uh, you can go to MuncieMusic.com or you can check them out in person if you're here in Muncie in beautiful downtown at 600 South Mulberry Street. So check out MuncieMusic.com. They also have a recording studio. So if you're wanting to do some recording, hit them up. So this is episode number 20. I'm very, very excited. And uh, I had a good conversation with my friend Jonathan Newby. Uh, and I just cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, one thing that I do want to tell you is uh, I've, I've been getting a lot of calls and people have been saying how much they like the show and everything. But I want to get you guys involved. I know a lot of you guys out there are musicians. You've been on the road. That's what this podcast is about. So I want you to call the TOTOT hotline at one 372 8818 And I want you to tell me a story about your travels with a band, or just your travels in general. I love traveling, so I want to hear your stories. So call the hotline. It is 1-765-372-8818. Make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to get in touch and become a sponsor, bands out there, I'm talking to you, companies as well. But you can hit me up, Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review us in the iTunes store. We've been getting so many international listeners, and that really, really gets me excited. So if you are from another country other than the United States, hit me up. Let me know that you guys are listening out there. Uh, we actually have some people in Taiwan that are listening now. So shout out to Taiwan. 
And uh, that's about it. Uh, it's very, very late. I always tell you guys what the time it is when I'm giving you these intros. But it's about 1.30 a.m. Uh, I just edited this episode. I have to get it out. I've got a lot of stuff going on this week, so I'm trying to get this out. So hopefully I will get this done tonight before I get too tired and I cannot work on it any longer. But uh, I'm going to jump right into my conversation with Jonathan. Thank you for listening to me ramble. Thank you so much for letting me into your life. Go in on this journey with me, uh, 20 episodes in, we're going to keep rolling, man. I've got a crazy episode for next week. I've actually got a really, really big thing that I hope happens. I cannot talk about it right now, but uh, within the next couple weeks, you guys will find out, and it's really, really cool. So uh, here it is, my conversation with Jonathan Newby from Brazil. Hey, Jonathan, long time, no talk, man. What's going on? Hey, not much. Just sitting here in Indianapolis talking to you. I know it's crazy. We're only we're only like I don't know fifty minutes apart, but we're doing it over we're doing it over the internet. So that's it's we could have done it in person, I, I guess. But I've got a crazy schedule, which I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, it's like when two people are texting each other and they're in the diff- they're in the separate room in the same house. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so when uh, I'm trying to remember the last time that you and I were actually in the same room together. Do you know? Because I have no idea. Uh, let's see. The last thing that I remember where I was in the presence of Swiss, <laughs> um, we were outside of the Herat okay. um, pub in Muncie, Indiana. And yeah, we just randomly ran into each other. I think my dad was there and I was like, hey, this is my friend Swiss. Yeah, yeah. I and, remember uh, that. I saw your dad. I saw your dad when you were out of the country here recently at my work where I teach at. And uh, he was there with your son. Okay. It was really cool. I went up to him and I said, hey, you don't know me, but I think you're Jonathan's dad. He goes, yeah, I am. And we talked for like a half hour and I met your son. I, I'd met him when he was little, but now he's like huge. So, Yeah, oh, that's cool. We ran into him. Yeah, he's really into the banjo right now. So I keep telling him like, hey, I got a buddy who is really good at guitar and probably banjo. So Yeah, I teach. I just, uh, I never really felt comfortable teaching banjo. I could always play it a little bit, but... Uh, they gave me a couple students and now that I'm, that I'm doing it, I'm getting way into it. So I'm doing that mandolin, ukulele, like guitar, bass, everything. So if he's interested, yeah, I'll give you the bro discount. (laughs) That's awesome, man. (laughs) So, um, I want to, I want to get into all the music stuff, but what I would really like to uh, let people know is that Jonathan was the singer in uh, a really great band called Brazil. They were on fearless records. I think you guys, what was the other label you guys were on after that? Um, it was Immortal Records. Immortal Records, okay. And uh, they're from right here in central Indiana. I did some touring with you guys, played some bass, did some tech work, whatever you want to call it. And um, you guys were awesome. You're one of my favorite bands to ever come out of this area. I still listen to you guys on a on a weekly basis, at least. <laughs> I, the oh, that's other, awesome, the, man. the other day, I just moved uh, two months ago to my new house here in Muncie, and I was going through all my old clothes, and I found a really nice Brazil zip-up hoodie, and I've, I've, I can't wait for it to get cold out so I can rock my Brazil hoodie. Oh, that's sweet. I don't even know if I have any Brazil merch, except I think I do have one Brazil hoodie, and I use it to paint paint in. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> That's cool, man. So uh, what I'd like to do, I do this almost every podcast with my guests. I want you to take me back to young Jonathan when you kind of found out that music spoke to you, that it was something that you were passionate about, like some of your first memories that got you going on your path. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. So my earliest memories, my <laughs> my parents had this giant console stereo. Like, I don't know if you've, like, I'm sure you've seen the kind, but like, uh, I mean, it's just huge. It's like the size of like a giant ice chest and you put your records in there and your, uh, your eight tracks and your, um, you know, all your cassette tapes and stuff. And I would just like put in records. It was usually stuff like the chipmunk Christmas and just like, (laughs) just like stuff like that. And I would just sit next to the speaker on the, on like one corner of it and just listen to that stuff over and over again. And then like, it kind of, you know, that, that's me when I was like three, four years old, of course. But then like, um, you know, my dad was like a big jazz and at the time, like fusion like music fan. So I would put in like some of his stuff, like Spyro Gyra. And I don't know what else he listened to, but there was a lot of like saxophone going on in that era. And um, yeah, so I would just kind of, I kind of like graduated from the chipmunks to like, 
you know, like things, weather report type stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I remember, I remember trying to take things off of the radio, like, like, do you remember the band Europe, the final countdown? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I used to be way into that stuff. Um, and so I would try to like catch it on the radio anytime that I could like, you know, try to tape it. And yeah. that's something I could do. That's, for some reason, that's something I could do with that big giant console stereo. I don't know. Like I, I used to do I the same it. thing, man. Like on, on X one Oh three, when they used to be solid rock X one Oh three, when I was young and yeah. like, they would have like a half hour show where they played a lot of really heavy stuff. So I'd always set my tape recorder up and like hit record <laughs> Didn't know yeah. that I could just go to the store and buy the CDs. You know, I had to, I had to I do know, that. I know, right, yeah. yeah. And you're sitting there, like, waiting for the right moment. Like, is this my song? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's that's young me. <laughs> like, you know, my, my entry point, I guess. Were you, uh, like, did your parents not make you, but I guess get you into music as far as playing instruments at a young age as well? Yeah, because they're, they're all musicians. Like, my family... Um, they're all musicians like three generations back. So like my mom is like a keyboard player and I say keyboard because she plays piano, organ and accordion. So like keyboard is like yeah. the umbrella term. My dad, my dad's always been like a saxophone reed type player. Um, and so like they, they put me in piano lessons because it's just like, it was just like a thing. Like, you know, you have a kid and it's like, you wanted to be involved in an activity. And for some parents that's soccer and for other parents, that's piano lessons. Yeah. For me, it was piano lessons. So yeah, they encouraged that. Well, that's really cool. So piano was your first instrument that you, that you tackled. Actually, no first instrument was, uh, drums. Okay. And so I would like, I was always fascinated with drums. Um, and I would build my own drum kits out of like, laundry hampers and like pots and pans <laughs> that's great and then just like play along to records yeah and then like they my parents kind of made me take piano lessons and so i kind of it was then i got you know i sort of expanded my horizons i guess well yeah and i know you know you're kind of like me probably even to more of an extent but you're into music theory like like crazy i mean at least you experience you know how to do it like there's a lot of people that play instruments that don't really go down that path but i just know from my time of playing music with you and just from what I know of you and seeing you play things, you seem like you've got a very music mind. Like all that stuff makes sense. The math, I guess, or the science behind the music. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I'm not as like, I, I can guarantee you that I'm not as uh, up on it as you are. Um, like if you tell me to play like, Oh, play like a, uh, I don't know, D sharp mixolydian scale. I don't even know if that exists. Like, I would know it does. Do. Yeah, it, it um, totally does. On the guitar, <laughs> you if, you, if on the gu- on the guitar, if you want to play that in the first position, I believe you would be on the eleventh fret, and you would start the first position. There then everything go. else just kind of goes around it. So <laughs> that does. That's why it. they pay you the big bucks, man. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so after see, I, no no keep going. Sorry. I was just gonna say I wouldn't have known that. Like, but on the other hand, like those people that. Um, like they're complete, like just ear, like by ear, like those yeah. jazz pianists, like they can't read a single note of music, but they can play just crazy awesome on the keyboard because they improvise. Like I, I can't do that either. So I'm this generalist kind of in the middle. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I, I felt like when I was younger, before I got into the theory side of things, I was, it seemed like it was easier to jam with people. Like now when I'm just trying to, th- I know what I'm doing, but I'm always, I've always got the numbers in my head and I've always got like, it's it almost, it's hindering to a degree. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. That That's maybe that's why I never like really got down into the weeds on the theories. Cause I was afraid that like, Oh, I'll turn into like, you know, this, I don't know, mad scientist or something like that. And there won't be any feeling left, but I think, I don't think that that's accurate either. I think that you can have, I think you have best of both worlds, you know? Yeah, totally. So you, at what age did you like really get into the drums? Cause I know that you, you were a drummer for Brazil when you guys first started, or at least you played, did you play on the record the first EP or the first like demos? Uh, let me see. I played on the demos. Okay. I had, to, I had to think for a second, but like, um, when we actually recorded the first EP and the first record, um, so the first EP was this guy, Scott Freeman, this awesome drummer from St. Louis. Um, he actually played on, docile in that ep and then um but i played on the demos and then the same for 
uh, a hostage. Like we did a demo session in Nashville for my friend Matt, and um, I laid down the the uh, the demo stuff. But then James Sefcheck, our real drummer, um, came into the studio, or he was actually already in the band, and uh, he, he laid down the real tracks. So, so when you you get let's we'll jump ahead again. So, what was your first or jump back? I guess what was your first band? Because I know Brazil wasn't the first band. It was actually called London before that, correct? Yeah, that was kind of our working title, I guess. And you were in catharsis, <laughs> and, catharsis and the humdrum as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of like um, a band I was in in college. Um, I was in like a handful of bands in college, but that was the one where like we tried to be really serious. Um, it was kind of singer songwritery, and we kind of made a point to like make our songs pretty accessible. Um, so like, yeah, I mean that was fun. Um, and then Brazil was maybe a little bit of a reaction to that. I wanted to do something a little more like weird. So when th- when did did catharsis like break up, and then you started like the the thing that would become Brazil? Is that how that happened? Yeah, kind of. There was a little bit of a gap. So like catharsis broke up. Um, it, well, I should say catharsis and the humdrum because yeah. we definitely weren't that hardcore band from the south. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking um, that after I said catharsis, I'm like, yeah, we're not talking about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Catharsis and the Home Drum broke up. And then I kind of went this spell where I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I ended up actually moving to Europe, okay. um, to Belgium. And I worked for this um, this hardcore record company called Good Life Recordings. And I kind of went back and forth with them over a year or two years or something like that. Like I would fly over and, and work in the warehouse until like my visa ran out. And my, my tourist piece ran out and come back and then, you know, work at some like gas station for a couple months and then buy a plane ticket, fly back, work in the, work in the warehouse again. And just did that for a while. And then I was like, you know what? Uh, I really just want to like, I'm kind of tired of working for bands. Like I want to like be in the band and like actually yeah. do something and like really push it. So then I came back and I'm like, all right, I'm going to stay in the States and I'm going to get this band together and we're going to be called something London. Yeah. Which eventually became Brazil. <laughs> That's kind of how it's how it happened. So um, when you guys you got the band together, what would become Brazil eventually? What was the process for signing to Fearless? Because I remember back then I was in this punk band called Chronic Chaos, and we didn't really run in the same circles. But I remember the day that I heard that oh Brazil got signed, and I was like, that's amazing! Like because you know when you live in this little tiny area, that doesn't happen very often. So when yeah. I, I heard from a buddy of mine who knew you guys fairly well, and he's like, oh, yeah, Brazil got signed. They signed the Fearless Records. And I just remember being so ex- insanely excited that anyone from this area was was getting out. You know, <laughs> that's what you think, you're yeah. getting out. But uh, yeah. what was the process like for that? Was it just like cold sending out demos or, or like what happened? Yeah, like um, I basically... So we recorded the demo and then we basically like I put together these little rough kits, you know how we bands used to do in the day before <laughs> before like SoundCloud and all that shit. Oh yeah. Um, you know, your bio and everything. So I put together all these packets and I literally was like making, you know, two trips a day to the post office for like a week, just huge bundles. And I basically blasted everybody, like even labels that we had no <laughs> business reaching out to, you know. And like a couple of weeks went by and then all of a sudden I get a a phone call from this guy, Bob Becker oh, from yeah. fearless records. And he's like, Hey, yeah, this is uh, Bob. And I run a label called fearless records. And I think when he said that, like all the blood ran out of my face or something. <laughs> um, and yeah, dude, just started talking and, uh, that's kind of how it happened. He's like, I want to do an EP with you guys and kind of see how that goes. And if it goes well, then maybe we'll do a full length. So well, that's really, that's cool. That's and you guys recorded that at Azimuth, correct? Studios down Indy. The EP we did, our demos were all just like, yeah, we recorded those like with friends and stuff like that. But yeah, we recorded the first EP at Azimuth. That's that's correct. So what was the process like after that? Then you signed, was there a big crazy contract or was it like a handshake deal like they do at Fat Records? Like what was that all about? <laughs> there was a contract um, and we, <laughs> it was funny because like, you know, like I knew enough to like, oh, we should probably get to have a lawyer look at this. Yeah. And so I took it to like the free lawyer at Ball State who like, you know, helps you out when your landlord is a is a piece of shit or something. Yeah. And he's like, Well, I'm not an entertainment lawyer, but I guess this looks okay. I'm like, all right, it's good enough for me. 
and <laughs> so we yeah we signed it and sent it back and i mean it, you know i feel like it was a good deal i don't have any ill will towards uh fearless i mean they really i mean i would i wouldn't be doing this podcast i don't think if none of that happened so so you guys tour did you tour a lot on that first ep what was that what was that like because I didn't get with you guys yeah. until I think the next record came out. So what was the the early days like with the EP? Yeah, those were interesting days because like it was definitely more than we toured with ever before. Because it was all it all used to be like self booked things where like every third day would like fall through or something like that. And this was like the first time we actually had a legit booking agent. This guy Nick Storch, who at the time he's he booked for like Coheed and Cambria and stuff like that. So we were like, whoa, this is crazy. He wants to book for us, and so he booked us in some really um, awesome places and was a good like source of guidance for us. We had a problem back then with like, with like we had lineup problems, basically. I went from drums to like the singer and we couldn't really find the drummer that we liked. Like our drum situation didn't really lock in until we got James Sufchak um, for hostage. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, I mean, we went on some tours we probably shouldn't have gone on um, just because like we had a, you know, like a drummer that had just learned the songs like three days ago. Yeah. And if if you're like, you know, an indie pop band, that's one thing. But when you're trying to play like it keeps the machine running, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. something, something a bit different. Well, as someone who in the middle of a tour had to learn all of your songs on bass or at least a good number of your songs on bass. I, I, I will right. say, yeah, it's not like I was touring with a blues band and I could just play like one, <laughs> four, five or whatever. Like exactly. it's not easy. So yeah, I, I totally see that if for you guys to actually sound the way you needed to sound on a tour, you probably need to rehearse with a drummer for a few months. I would think just to get all the nuances and all the little pieces together. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I, I probably like would have pushed more for like, Hey, let's like maybe not take the next couple of tours and concentrate on, you know, getting a, a guy that works. Um, but you know, was, was everybody working, 20, 20. was everybody working like real jobs back then? Or when the band hit, was it just like, let's give everything up and just go. We were all kind of in this place where like, like I had just kind of graduated from college and so had Aaron and Nick, I think, um, the other guys, they were in kind of like areas of their life where they could easily, you know, like just up and get in a van and, and go around there. there. Nobody really had to be like, all right, I'm going to leave my life insurance sales job and, you know, my cushy, whatever job. They, nobody had to do that. We were all like young enough and unattached enough that we could do that. That's cool. So that first EP did it. I mean, I don't really remember. I, I love that EP, but how, what was the response? Like was fearless happy with that? I mean, it, they, they put out a full length. So, I mean, I guess they were pretty happy, right? Yeah, they were, they were really happy with it and they sent it out to get reviewed and it got like really good reviews. There were a handful of like kind of bad reviews, but they were from the usual people like buddy Ed and stuff like that. Pitchfork. But like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if it got to pitchfork, but okay. if it did, they probably gave it like, not very good but anyway um yeah they got a lot of good feedback on it and i think like i don't know that it sold like a ton of albums but like they were i think they were encouraged by like the review feedback and then, then so they were like well hey let's try a full length on this band and see what happens so the full length you guys recorded in uh california with alex newport correct yep yep how was that the, was how uh, was that process was that really cool that was really cool because like we um we had a nice runway for that project so like we had um a lot of time we had like an entire summer or six months or something like that where we just wrote and we um my friend matt he lived in nashville at the time and he was going to i don't know if it was full sale it was one of those like recording like professional recording studios and he had access to like a really nice studio and, he, and so we went in with him and just did this like two-day demo blast and recorded all our demoed all our stuff um and then we uh yeah, we just packed everything in the van. We had auditioned a bunch of drummers and we found James and James moved from New Jersey to Indiana. So we're like, awesome. We have like our drummer now. Um, and we all just drove to Los Angeles and met up with Alex. And it was kind of crazy because like Alex was this guy, like he kind of, um, we had a, a, like kind of a, a hard time finding a producer that we all like agreed on. Like, one guy might be too like mainstream and then another guy might be too like 
Uh, he's too like, you know, obscure and too like whatever. Um, but Alex was kind of like, he embodied like a bunch of stuff that like we all admired. Like he'd done a bunch of like really angular, noisy, like angry rock bands and stuff. But then he'd also done, you know, other stuff that was a little more melodic. And so like, he seemed like at the time, like the perfect guy to do this record. And he was awesome to work with. I remember I, I told the story because I had Eric Johnson uh, from Brazil. Actually, he was at my house Sunday for, oh, a co- yeah. for a cookout, but he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And That's I remember awesome. I was with you guys when we were touring on on hostage, the full length. And I remember we stayed at Alex's house in California. And I was just so excited because he was the guy from Nail Bomb. <laughs> Like he would, yeah. he played a nail bomb and my dad, which is really weird. I know I've told the story before. My dad always would buy whatever was playing at karma when he would go into the record store. And one day he bought yeah. nail bomb. So nail bomb became like one of his favorite bands. So I had Alex call and talk to my dad when we were there. And it's like the best memory yeah. that I have. Cause my dad talked to Alex for like 20 minutes on the phone about nail bomb. It was funny. So that's hilarious, man. Yeah. I, I had a friend in like high school, his name was Tommy and he would always wear a nail bomb shirt. Like, all the time and i never really i never knew that alex was in that band and then when i found out i was like whoa that's that's crazy but i have a funny alex newport dad story too like okay. so on on uh hostage in the meaning of life my dad plays on the song metropole yeah yeah and so we flew him out to los angeles to play it's like a free jazz sax sort of thing and we flew him out and um rather than like all of us just like you know like crowding in the hotel room that we had um me and my dad slept on Alex Newport's couch in his apartment that he had in at the time, like, I don't know, Silver Lake or something like that, Echo Park or whatever. And he's got this, of course, this huge, like, you know, CD collection, vinyl collection, whatever. And my dad's chatting him up and everything and kind of looking through his CD collection. <laughs> it's just funny because, like, my dad... I guess you'd have to know my dad, but he's like looking at like son of crack pipe and fudge tunnel. He's like, Oh yeah. And Alex is like, yeah, that's my man. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's really, really cool. So the, the recording of that, how long did it take to record it? I don't know if you said that or not. How long were you guys out in California? Uh, I think something like two or three weeks, something like that. Did you, uh, did, I mean, Alex, I know the album is really good and you guys got along, but did he like kind of see the vision? Like, was it a pretty good match? Like right off the bat? How did you feel about that? Um, actually, could you repeat that? I think something got a little garbled. Yeah, that's cool. So like when you were out there, I know that you guys were worried about a producer and evidently it did go very well. The album's great and everything, but did you guys hit it off right off the bat? Like, did he know the vision you guys had for the album? Like, was it the same? Yeah, I think so. Um, and like, so he had um, produced like the early at the drive-in stuff and the Mars Volta, um, that first EP that came out, Tremulant. Um, so he kind of had in his mind like, um, like, oh yeah, this is a band in that sort of vein. Um, and we, we would get reviews that came in later that's like, oh, this band is trying to be at the drive-in or trying to be Mars Volta. Um, and I could see that, where there would be sort of that sort of misunderstanding of intent. But I feel like, just because he had that background, like he kind of was able to dial it in. Cause I mean, we, we were essentially at the end of the day, we were a band that used a lot of loopy effects and weird time signatures and stuff. And he was a guy who knew how to work with that. So, uh, back when you guys were touring on that record, I mean, I did a lot of the tours with you as well, but uh, do you have any just things that stick out in your mind? Cause this is called that one time on tour. So we like to tell like road stories. Um, I don't know if you prepared any <laughs> knowing you were going to come on, but is there anything that you just kind of, you know, sticks out in your mind from those early tours or the other tours, anything at all? Let's see. I remember when James threw a burrito at a police car in Pennsylvania, that was funny. Um, Eric just told me that story Sunday (laughs) and I said man why didn't you tell that on the podcast he's like I don't know I totally should have so you can totally tell it if you want yeah well hey it made it on there yeah right um yeah let's see the other thing um man there's so much stuff like I kept a blog for a while um and now it's offline but like (laughs) so we went on that one tour with uh Coed and Cambria that was like um that was awesome because we felt like after Dawson kind of, we did that whole album cycle. We're just like, we lost our manager we had at the time and we're just kind of like, Oh man, this could be kind of like we have a short uh, shelf life or whatever. But then like things started picking up and we got this one manager blaze who was really awesome and just started, you know, like really 
getting things to work for us. Um, he got us with Alex. I think that's how that works. Um, but then um, we got on this tour with Coheed, and we're like, holy shit, because like, I, I knew that they were coming up, and um, they were starting to draw, like, you know, thousand-room, like, sellouts, like, you know, capacity and stuff like that. We got on this show at the Irving Plaza um, in New York. I don't is it Irving Plaza or the Irving Plaza, whichever. Anyway, that was kind of like walking on stage uh, to, like, a, a sold-out show, and then people, like, kind of wooing and doing what they do at shows. Um, like, that was – that will I will never forget that because it was kind of like our rebirth – in a way, like we walk out on stage after like this summer of like, Oh shit, what's going to happen. And then suddenly here we are like playing to a sold out like theater in New York city. And, and that was awesome. I would also like to take this time to, uh, to apologize to Coheed and Cambria because it's the last night of that tour. We went down to their dressing room and I had these, um, these fart capsules, these little capsules <laughs> full of the, like sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. And I like cracked a bunch of them in their dressing room. And uh, I don't think anybody ever really knew that that was me, but it was. And so if any of those guys are listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got I've got some contacts out trying to get a couple of those guys. So if I get them on the show, I'll let them know that you're sorry about that. Please, please do. Awesome. <laughs> so um, a little bit about our history together. So um, I know and I, I want to talk about this because I think it's kind of funny, actually, because now we're friends. But. I remember when I was asked to actually go on the road with you guys, you, all of you guys kind of being like worried because we were doing warp tour first off. And you were, I think like we've talked about it, maybe not with you, but I've talked about it with Nick and some other guys. You guys thought I was like this fat records, punk rock kid. (laughs) And that you were worried. I wasn't going to do my job because I was going to be at warp tour. And I was like, like, I, I know that that was kind of a thing, and I, I hope that I kind of proved that theory wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, you totally did. Like, uh, we will, we never had, well, I don't want to slight Brian, yeah, but, yeah. like, uh, we, we never had a crew member that was as awesome as you uh, well, thank since you. then. Thank yeah, you so much. You, you, <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, um, so for the record, I don't recall having that thought process that you were <laughs> like, you know, going to, like, not do your job. Maybe I did and I forgot. Well, but, you and I, my, uh, I think you and I connected a little bit more maybe than some of the other guys. You and I and Eric and I, because you and I both like metal. Yeah, there you go. So and I think the, <laughs> a lot of the other guys were like, wow, this kid, he, he showed up to our like practice with a no effect shirt on. He's totally going to be somebody we don't want to <laughs> hang out with. No, I uh, like in terms of, so you had your technical prowess down. You knew, you knew, really knew what you're doing. You could tear apart a guitar and put it back together you know, in 20, 20 seconds, uh, you, I, I could keep James off a skateboard. You could, Oh, that was big. <laughs> <laughs> you were good for morale, which is important in a crew. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and, um, you were, I mean, you were good as being like, I think eventually like you were a tour manager, right? You would advance the show. Yeah. So what, would... what happened was I started out just kind of being maybe selling merch here and there and teching. And then yeah. b- before worked was over, I was pretty much full on TM. And then, yeah, you, were. you know, like, couple months later i was bassist (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah yeah and i remember when you had to leave i was you're like well my buddy brian can do it and you were kind of like oh man yeah but but brian's great to be brian's awesome not to be awesome we had nothing to worry about but we we were definitely bummed when you had to like get off i can't remember why you left but i had some i think i had some other things going on uh with another band or so i can't remember it's been so long ago but yeah i just remember like i told brian like hey man you know my job's open with brazil you should go and yeah. he's like, well, I don't, I don't even know those guys. And I'm like, it, <laughs> like, it's going to be great. I didn't know him either. And I, I left you in good company because Brian's a great guy. So, <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. He, and he's definitely like whoever he's working with now, they're a lucky band because they got Brian. He's out with Baroness. I don't know if you're a Baroness fan. But really? Yeah. He's wow. like doing sound. Uh, his, uh, his girlfriend is the tour manager, I believe for Baroness. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's no longer in the Ataris. He's doing more like you know roadie stuff, but I think he's enjoying it more. We've been chatting back and forth once in a while, so he's doing really well. Hopefully, he's going to be on the show. I was just just talking on my (laughs) outro for my last episode because I was texting Brian as I was talking on the mic. I'm going (laughs) to try to get him on the show, but he's just super busy right now. So yeah, I miss hearing him go, "Hey, noobers." (laughs) Hey, noobers. (laughs) Okay, so um. I want to talk a little bit about what happened with you guys leaving Fearless and signing to Immortal when you put out 
the the next record because I, I know with you guys kind of I, it was pretty conscious effort. There was a definite kind of image change and it fit how the music felt. And there was this theme throughout the next record. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that if you could. Yeah. So we got dropped from fearless. <laughs> so that's um, what happened. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's that story. Um, they, I mean, we were bummed at the time. Um, and I don't, but I don't have any hard, hard feelings or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was just a thing where like, we kind of got caught in this trap of like, okay, um, let's write songs for an album. We need, you know, an album's like 11 or 12 songs. So we're going to write 11 or 12 songs and then we're going to tour on it and not do any writing for two years, yeah. which means that we have to come home and like spend a super big amount of time, like um, writing more music. And instead of like what bands normally do or what I think probably should have done is like, write a bunch of songs, like, you know, 20, 30 songs or something like that, or at least have some in various stages of completion so that you always have something to kind of like put out like extra stuff. And we just didn't do that. Um, and it, I mean, I, we had a lot of stuff to worry about like on tour and everything, but so anyway, that's, that's how that happened. Um, and then, so we were labelists for a little while and then um, our manager blaze worked out this deal with uh, immortal. I think it was between immortal and, was V2? V2 was a record label. I remember talking to you guys, and I think V2 was up kind of, there was yeah. you know, one or the other, because I remember Eric telling me about V2 back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think Immortal kind of became the option that we had to go with, and um, we, yeah, we did like a, a full-on sort of like aesthetic change. Like we went from kind of being this like spazzy, you know, like, I don't know, post hardcore band or whatever to like kind of this, um, I don't want to say muse, but we, we were heavily influenced by kind of like more like David Bowie and like older style, like seventies rock. Yeah. Um, you know, and like seventies prog rock, um, and Pink Floyd and stuff like that. Um, and making the, the album kind of sound older in that regard, as opposed to like futuristic the production you know I mean? on it is way different and that's something else i want to jump into because you guys worked with dave fridman i think that had yeah. a lot to do with the production of the record sounding a little bit more organic maybe mm -hmm. less yeah. pro toolsy is what i always kind of yeah. say you know yeah 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 that was definitely an interesting experience like um dave is was really cool to work with that whole studio um session with him was really kind of life-changing as far as like my musical life um because in the past like like recording sessions were always kind of like um they were very similar there's a similar process you know like the editing the the way you record it what you're going for all this stuff um for better or for worse it's kind of cut and dry but at dave's studio tarbox it's more like kind of a laboratory yeah um it's just this big house in the woods and there's just there are all these instruments everywhere everything from like um, like a theremin to like a 12 string guitar to like a set of timpani. And he's just like, you're free to use any of this on your record that you want. And so we would, we spent the whole like two weeks tracking that we were up there just like throwing everything like, Oh, Hey, I think a timpani part would be great in this thing here. So, <laughs> Hey, go jump on the timpani. And, and it was fun. It was super fun. It made a record that our record company was not expecting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it was so fun to make. And I, a lot of the things that um, we did, like the techniques and stuff that we did to make that record, like I still use to this day when I record myself. Can you, uh, can you speak a little bit about um, the glitch on the mastering of crime? Oh, <laughs> I, I forgot. Wait, is that crime or is it you better, or you, uh, you never know. It's, it's one of those two. I just, I just remember you or your brother sent me, sent me like the it was the single so i think it was crime and like because okay. you guys had two mixes of the single do you remember that i do yeah we were trying to a b them yes. trying to a b him so some one of you guys sent me to like ask me what i thought and then i heard the glitch and you guys already knew the glitch was there but i remember it was you or nick or somebody i was like yeah do you, i think your mp3 is messed up because there's a little glitch in it and then it ended up being on the record as well. So I'm pretty sure it's crime. I might be wrong. It's been like 15 years or whatever. So, yeah, I know there is a glitch on something because I remember that. And like at that point, like we had gone round and round with our label about the, the mix. Like it was like, they were expecting like a really 
compact, tight, you know, compressed mix with drums like in your face and everything. And we came out with this like super wide, expansive, echoey drum mix, and you know, Dave Fredman style totally. And they they just they're like, what? Um, and so we went round and round with them, and that glitch came out. And that at that point, I was just kind of like. I don't even care. <laughs> like, we'll just pretend like it's a weird time signature. So what, uh, how was it with that? Did you guys, I'm trying to rack my brain. I didn't really do a lot of preparation for this cause you're my friend. Normally I take notes and everything, but I figured we could get through this without notes. But, uh, what was the process of touring that record? Because I mean, does it, was it the same as hostage or did it feel a lot different? It felt a lot different. It felt like, um, Felt like maybe we should have. So one thing we did differently, and I think better, is that we actually went for sort of like a unified, like theme, like visually. Like so, we started wearing more like suits and things like that, um, just to kind of like dr- bring it all in and yeah. sort of like really support the way that the music sounded and stuff like that. Well, I mean, a lot of people get, oh man, there's an image, image. It's it's a brand. When you have a band and you're trying to make your living off of the band. Yeah. Every everything needs to kind of be the ends need to meet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even even anti-image bands like Nirvana or whatever—that's that's an image. image. Yeah, yeah. It's like the punk rock kids that I grew up with that made fun of me for listening to Bad Religion, and I didn't have like a mohawk and I didn't wear a chain wallet, and they thought I was a poser. They're the yeah. ones conforming. I'm just listening to what I want to listen to. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um, yeah. So like. But touring on that, I felt like, so we finally got our live show down. Like, I felt like we were all, like, really becoming performers as opposed to, like, these nervous, like, shy dudes on stage. We were becoming performers, and especially just speaking for myself. Like, I felt like I was finally, like, coming out of my shell. But, like, we seemed to not get on a lot of really advantageous tours. Yeah. Like, we did, we, we were never able to do that Coed and Cambria thing again. Um you know, we toured with some really good bands, but like the mixes were weird. Like the mix of bands on the bill were kind of weird. Um, and I feel like we had just kind of lost some momentum at that point. So what, like, did the band just go on hiatus after that? I mean, I know you guys did the EP actually, you mixed it at my studio, Brian and I's studio, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what was the, I guess the, the ending kind of to the band, was there a breakup or did it just kind of stop? Uh, it's kind of, um, so I, I had to drop out. I quit. Like I was, I had too much, I had personal issues happening and I just needed to like drop out and concentrate on other parts of my life. Yeah. And I, and, uh, I think what happened is they kept going and they were going to audition a new singer and then that didn't work out. And then I think like, um, Philip and Eric and some other guys are going to form a new band and I'm not sure what happened there. Um, it's kind of like, for me, it was kind of a big question mark. Cause as soon as I left, I was just, I kind of went into my own zone and that was it. So, um, do you, you look back with fond memories on Brazil, correct? <laughs> I do like anything else. Like I look back and it's like, man, I wouldn't trade those, a lot of those experiences for anything. And then there are some things where I'm like, I could have really done better as a person there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. I get you. So, uh, what was your next step musically after that? You said you had to take care of some like, you know, personal stuff or like other yeah. life things, but when was your next foray into music? Uh, I actually took a big, like seven year break from pretty much anything. Um, and it wasn't a seven year break of like just nothing. It was just like, um, I just got a, a normal regular job and I was working construction for a while and then at a newspaper for a while. And I had, I bought this like little pro tools rig and I was like, I started recording demos in literally my bedroom. So the bedroom demo thing, it was actually what I did. Um, and like, I didn't know what I was going to do with them. I, it, and they were all like this kind of raw, like noisy garage rock. Um, and it was completely different than Brazil. Um, and yeah, so I just started doing that. It was fun. I did it all kind of all myself. Like I would just put a stick of mic up to like, you know, my little amp and just play a bunch of noisy guitar and then you know, write it, write some lyrics over the top of it. And then that, you know, I wrote one or two EPs just doing that. Um, and then uh, it's kind of funny the way it works out because we, when I was in Brazil, we had signed this publishing contract um, with this company in, well, they were in Los Angeles and New York. And nothing ever happened with that um, while we were in the band. 
And then fast forward like seven years later, and I have these demos, and I see that this publishing company is starting to get kind of known. Like they have The Weeknd, they have Lord, they have Diplo, um, all this stuff. And I'm, I, you know, I'm like, hey, I think I know some people there still. So I, I reached out an email. And I'm like, hey, I see that, you know, I think I'm still technically on your roster, and I would love to be more a more active songwriter. I'm like, oh yeah, we'd love that. So I went out to California and kind of met up with all of them and they're like, send us what you have. We don't care if it's like, you know, crappy demos or whatever. And I sent them what I had and they started like placing it in things. And wow. yeah. So, um, that's kind of what I'm doing now. That's great, man. So, uh, I just, I remember one thing that was cool for me is that, uh, during that touring cycle for hostage, when you guys were on fearless, we, I got back from a tour cause I did a few tours with you guys, but I got back from like the second or third tour and I was watching the MTV challenge show with my sister and your song. We was in the background oh, yeah. when they were like doing this rope climb. Thing. Oh, wow. And I, I was, that one yeah. Yeah, and I was like, Oh man, I, I, I told my sister, that's the band I'm touring with. She's like, you're lying. <laughs> that's not the band you're touring with. But, yeah. uh, but so you're, you're still actively doing that. Like you're writing a lot of stuff and, and working with the publishing company. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't do hardly any touring, like maybe once a year or once every other year, I'll get some guys together to make the band. Yeah. And then, um, we'll go out and play some shows to like support a release or something like that. But mainly it's just like me recording and then just kind of putting it out there. What is, uh, what's the name of the project? Uh, so it's called JC Autobody. Okay. Yeah. And it's more of that like noisy garage rock kind of throwback type stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, it's space. It's so I've I've had songs in like the show Shameless and Riverdale and uh, just stuff like that, and it basically funds my like studio habit. So that's awesome. Can uh, is there anywhere online people can check that stuff out? Yeah, if you go to Bandcamp, the site, the Bandcamp site, um, and look up JC Autobody, like I've got my full discography there. Okay, cool, man. So yeah. one thing I'm very excited to talk about, and we're finally at the place. We've got the music stuff out of the way. Um, <laughs> I'm a very avid traveler. I've, yeah. I, 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 I'm very meticulous on my count too. I, I believe I'm at 62 countries. Nice. You've killed me in that aspect. I pr I'm pretty sure. No, I think you're, you've got me by 12. Really? Yeah. I, okay. It's probably some of the little <laughs> tiny ones that I just went into for like a day and then came out. Maybe. Yeah. But, uh, so you just got back recently from almost what, like a year, year and a half abroad. Yeah. Just right out of a year. What were you doing? Like you were doing travel blog type stuff, like writing and stuff like that. Yeah. It was kind of like a, a walkabout, like a personal walkabout sort of thing. Um, the job I have now, um, they're, they're really cool. And they allowed for me to go do that. I could something I can work like remotely from my computer. Um, and so I, I, I took advantage of it and went out and just basically kind of one way ticketed my way around the world. Wow. Um, yeah. So just kind of clear my head and reset you know, reframe my perspective and set some new goals and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I listen to this podcast. I'm going to give a shout out. I don't know this guy at all, but this guy, Rick Gazarian, and he has this podcast called counting countries. And it's all about the people that are chasing the 193 because the United nations recognizes 193 sovereign nations oh, yeah. in the world. Okay. And I badly want to do that at some point, maybe when my kids are older, but, uh, like what was it like for you? Like I, I through watch, looking at your Instagram and just reading everything you were doing, you know, what were some of the best places where you had the best experiences and were there any places that maybe you don't ever want to go back to? Yeah. Uh, so I'm the kind of type of person that like, I like challenging places. So, like, so do I. <laughs> um, yeah. So like places where like, there might be a little bit of danger, like, um, or I might not get to eat or I might get stranded somewhere. So like there, there were instances where like, I I took a bus from Bangkok through Cambodia um, to Phnom Penh and got on a speed speedboat, took that down the Mekong into rural Vietnam. Wow. Once I got off there, I got on a bus, and the bus driver forgot I was on the bus, and it was in the middle of the night and forgot to drop me off. And so, like, I had to basically find this homestay in the middle of the night, kind of in the jungle when it was raining. Uh, nobody spoke English. I didn't speak any Vietnamese. Um, and I made it out and like, you know, in, in the moment I was like, Oh shit, like, what am I doing, man? And then, you know, you make it out and you're just like, yeah, my life has been affirmed. You know, were there, were there any places that you had a hard time getting visas for? 
like, did you go to any of the crazy places that like Americans aren't really supposed to go and it takes years to get visas or anything like that? Uh, so I went to Russia, um, and I got, I had to go through a visa process there. I went to China and I got a visa there. Um, a lot of them, um, not China and Russia, but a lot of them I was able to just apply for online, but the, the China and Russia ones, and also Vietnam, I had to go to, uh, like the, the consulate offices and different countries that I was at, like maybe a month or two before I actually went there. And so it was always kind of a gamble of like, are they even going to let me in? Do I have to reroute my trip? That kind of thing. But fortunately, like aside from like sort of the, the pain in the ass factor of like being in line and having to deal with a crabby, you know, like receptionist or something like that, like I didn't really have too many problems. Um, I'm the type of person where like, I kind of wanted to uh, like go to North Korea, but I last I heard that I that's actually um, they'll revoke your passport for that as a U.S. Yeah. citizen. Yeah, that's that's the it. one thing that people <laughs> all the the travel podcasts that I listen to. That's the one that and uh, I think Con- the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and a couple other places in Africa, and they're very very Eritrea I think is another one. Very very hard places to get to. So if you're wanting to do the 193. Yeah. You've got to really do your planning to do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, did you, and you spent some time in Africa. What countries did you visit while you were in Africa? I was in Morocco for a couple weeks. Um, and then I went down to, uh, South Africa for a week, Cape town. Um, did you get to see the penguins at Boulder's beach? No, I didn't know to look for them. (laughs) Oh dude, you should have got, it's the coolest thing ever. Just little baby penguins walking around. That's great. That sounds cute. Um, then I went to uh, Botswana and Uganda and then Ethiopia. Okay. And that was it. So, so, uh, what were, I guess, I guess, I don't know. I'm just very excited because I don't have a lot of friends that, that travel like you do. <laughs> were there, was there ever a time when you were like really scared? Like not just the time you were on the bus and you had to figure some stuff out, but was there any really kind of tense moments while you were traveling? Uh, yeah. So I was in uh, Israel and I, I took a bus down to, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a, it's like a national park and it's like on the border of like Jordan or something like that. And like, I was running at the time, like, like for health, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I decided, Hey, I think I'll go for a run. And so I'm like running kind of through the desert and stuff like that. They're the, the Rocky parts. And, um, I'm like, running for not more than 10 minutes before somebody pops out of the bushes with a walkie talkie and probably armed. And they're like, yeah, Hey, why are you running? And, (laughs) and I'm like, luckily I had like, you know, like a training shirt on and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm just trying to you know train and I'm just running, you know, just whatever. And they're like, okay, well maybe you should run like more on the road over here or whatever. Um, which I get it. Like it's kind of a high risk area. And like, you know, just to see this dude out running in the middle of nowhere. Plus I had a green shirt on. It's just like, you know, what would they, yeah. what are they going to think? You know yeah. what I mean? So then, um, I'm running along this highway and this tour bus full of tourists is coming the other way. And like, they stop right in the middle of the road, like just dead stop. Not, not like when somebody, when you're running on the side of the road and somebody's just trying to slow down and give you a wide berth, like they stop, like we're not going any further. And so I'm running just like, do and you know, I've got, I've kind of got like, like some cutoff, like, camouflage pants it's what i ran in and you know like this hat i'm wearing right here which kind of looks like an army hat or whatever so i'm running and like i get closer to him and like everybody on this tour bus is just like staring at me like what's gonna happen and so i just do this good old midwestern like hey how's it going y'all and uh just run on past and yeah it's kind of a little bit of a tense moment that's awesome man so i've got to ask it we're on the the travel thing uh yeah did you go to brazil I did. I went to Sao Paulo. That's really cool. I love Sao Paulo, man. Did uh, the one thing I, I love, and I talked to Eric about it on the podcast. Whenever we were at, you know, a warp tour or anywhere, and there was a lot of people that that maybe wouldn't be at a normal show or whatever, just like people everywhere, they'd come up to the merch table and they'd always go, "Why Brazil? I'm from yeah. Brazil." <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, can you uh, tell? I mean, I know this is kind of probably a lame question that you probably got in a million interviews, but the name of the band was uh, directly because of the movie correct yeah that was a big inspiration for it like i'm a big terry gilliam fan and i kind of like so like that was my i pitched that idea when we decided to switch from london the band london or the band name london um i was like well so like 
I wanted something that was like super easy and recognizable, like a band like, you know, Kansas or Alabama or America or whatever. And oh yeah, Europe, and then, Europe, Europe. Yes. Europe. Dude, That's meta moment. We I, circled back to Europe from the beginning of the podcast. There you go. Final yes, countdown. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, but there's also this like weird sci-fi movie um, called Brazil. So that's like a perfect tie-in. It, you know, like it hits all the bases or whatever. And I think it was, I think some of the guys were kind of like, eh, I don't know, but we ended up going with it. So you, you should have called your band Brazil, the man, and you could have toured with Portugal, the man. <laughs> oh, that's such a good idea. Why didn't we do it? Well, we did. I mean, that's another person I had on the podcast. Dewey help us. He does the peer pleasure podcast. He used to be in uh, anatomy of a ghost who we played with. And yeah. then that actually became, you know, Portugal, the man later that we played with as well yeah. back in the day. So yeah, I always thought that would be cool. Like if it was the Portugal, the man and Brazil, the band <laughs> tour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh cool. man. Yeah. I forgot that we had played with Portugal, the man. And that was like back, that was in some like tiny place. They walked in with these giant sunglasses yep. and like a tight leather jacket and had these like beats and stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. And now they're like everywhere. Oh, they're huge, man. Yeah. It's great. Okay. So, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Now that we've gotten everything out of the way, we're coming to the end, the final countdown of the co- of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> nice. I see what you did there. Yeah. I want to know about what you're doing currently. Uh, I know you're, you're always recording, you're always writing songs. So what's, what's coming up in the future for Jonathan? So I literally just sent off um, an order for some limited vinyl for my new JC auto body record. It's called turbo. Um, and so information will be, available there i mixed so i uh i recorded that um and mixed it with daryl rabido from cancer conspiracy awesome um and i think i'm pronouncing his last name correctly but i've never referred to him by his last name so sorry (laughs) daryl if you're listening um yeah so that that's awesome i'm super excited for that that's i'm aiming to have that out by halloween Okay. So like a Halloween release would be, that's Nick's birthday. Yeah. And then yeah. speaking of, yeah. Speaking of Nick, uh, he and I, Nick is my brother for the listeners. Um, we have a, a project together called poorly built men, which is kind of like basically a film scoring project, but for films that do not exist that we make up. Awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got going on right now. Well, that's really cool, man. When that, uh, when it comes out, you know, maybe we can have you back. I'll, I'll at least push it really hard with all my social media stuff. I really want to check it out. So, um, awesome. I appreciate you so much coming on the podcast. I, we got to get together at some point soon, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. My, my, the cool thing about this podcast, since I'm not in a band, like I'm always writing songs and playing guitar, but I'm not in a band. I didn't have a creative release. So doing this podcast is kind of, I don't know that it, it almost feels like I'm in a band again and I get to talk to, it's yeah. an excuse to talk to good friends. I haven't seen for a long time about cool things. So nice. I appreciate you so much for coming on. Please uh, tell Elliot that I said, hello. He probably doesn't remember me, but there's that picture of you and Elliot and me and Brian at the old recording studio. Oh, and yeah. He's like real tiny. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. But uh, Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. Yeah, and if you uh, want to play a show with Autobody, let me know. Oh, dude, anytime, man. Yeah, <laughs> hit me up. I'll learn all this stuff in one night like I did on tour. <laughs> oh, I know you will, and it's easy too, so you can get it in five minutes probably. Awesome. Well, hey, man, uh, you're a great dude. You're my good buddy, and I'm so glad you came on the podcast, and I want to have you back for a part two when the record comes out, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Cool, man. Well, I will talk to you later, Jonathan. Have a great evening. You too, man. Take care. Bye. And there it was, my conversation with my good friend, Jonathan Newby from Brazil and JC Autobody. I had a really good time speaking with Jonathan. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to see some of his travel pictures from his uh, his year abroad, uh, check him out on Instagram. It's at Young Tobacco Records. And uh, make sure to Google JC Autobody. Check out his stuff. I know it's on Bandcamp. And um, that's it. Uh, next week, we have Johnny P-Bucks, Johnny Bono from the Swinging Utters. Uh, great Fat Records band is going to be on the show. And uh, after that, I've got a special guest I can't tell you about for the next week. But uh, fingers crossed it's going to happen. But come back next week to check out my interview with Johnny from the Swinging Utters. And I'm going to leave you guys with a song from Brazil and a song from JC Autobody. Uh, the song from Brazil is on A Hostage in the Meaning of Life, which was their full length that came out on Fearless Records. It's a song called Aventine. It's a really, really cool song. 
And then uh, the other song is Life Taker from JC Autobody. So make sure that you guys are following us on all of the social media platforms at TOTOT Podcast. Hit us up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. Call the TOTOT hotline at 1765 372 8818. We'll see you guys next week with Johnny from the Swinging Utters. Here it is Brazil with Aventine and JC Autobody with Life Taker. So watch me stay beside. So helplessly waiting to close my eyes.
It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? (laughs) So do we. Why don't you come over and check it out. And stop listening to other podcasts.